Good morning again, and welcome to Church of the Cross. My name is Peter. I'm also one of the priests, one of the pastors here at Church of the Cross, and it is a delight to be with you in worship this day. What a waste. What a waste. In the classic film Papillon, the main character, played by Steve McQueen, is a convicted thief motivated to escape his island prison. And motivated, at least in part, by a dream that haunts him, a particular and central fear. In this recurring dream, Papillon, the name of the character, is on trial, and a guilty verdict is rendered. Rather than a specific robbery or crime, however, what haunts Papillon, the verdict that is read over him, is that of a wasted life. He's guilty of a wasted life, wasted time, wasted opportunities, wasted relationships. It haunts him, perhaps as it haunts us too. What a waste. Our gospel reading this morning is filled with waste. The very name by which this famous parable that Jesus tells is known includes that word prodigal. Related to the vice of profligacy, the prodigal or wasteful son. A son who wastes and wastes again. Hearing that title, we might be tempted to focus entirely upon this one character, right? The the younger son, the wasteful son. However, in the story, the father himself is a significant figure. And he's the father of two sons, the older sibling also appearing. One title that has been used is the father and his two lost sons. There are three characters. And each of these three characters are characters who waste, who are wasteful. Each of these characters, the younger son, the older, the father himself, are characterized by a certain degree of profligacy. They're all prodigal in some kind of way. What I'd like to do this morning is simply walk through these three characters and their place in this story, looking at the wastefulness of each as a mirror of our own lives and also as an invitation to something more. Before we dive in, let's begin in prayer. Gracious and almighty God, thank you for your deep and abiding love for us. Thank you for this story that is sometimes called the gospel in the gospel, the very heart of good news. Would you now, by your Holy Spirit, and out of your kindness, prepare us to receive good news. Open our hearts and our minds to see the truth of who you are, perhaps as never before. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. The younger son, of of course, the most obviously wasteful in Jesus' story. He has the name prodigal for a reason. In verse 13, he's described as squandering his property in reckless living. He's profligate and unthinking with the share of property he has received. There's this obvious waste of wealth. Some translations, instead of reckless living, say abandoned living. He lived with abandon. He lived as though there were no limits. 
In the language of the older brother later on, he has devoured what has been given to him. Most cultures regard wastefulness, profligacy as a vice. It suggests a a lack of care or gratitude, a lack of true appreciation for the limits and for what we have been given. Many of you know that my wife and I spent a few years living in Japan, and I remember one evening we had a, a dear friend, a former student of mine, come over for dinner. And this was going to be an especially fun dinner. We were going to make tempura and eat it together. And tempura, for those of you who, know, who don't know, as most of you I'm sure do, is lightly battered vegetables or shrimp, deep fried. When done right, tempura is delicious. When done right. It did not go right this evening. And where we expected light, fluffy, crisp batter, for some reason, the batter didn't congeal and it didn't cook. And so what we were left with was this mountain of sweet potatoes and other vegetables and shrimp just covered and floured in this soggy, wet mess. It was nearly inedible. I say nearly inedible because our friend, took to heart this particular Japanese phrase, mo tai nai, waste not is what we would say. And I'll never forget our friend kind of glumly but also comically seeking to shovel down all this soggy food, laughing to himself saying mo tai nai, don't waste, waste not. There's something obscene, offensive to us about material waste. We react against it for all kinds of reason. And that offense can easily be turned toward those themselves who are wasteful or reckless with material things, right? There's a kind of moral stain that comes with it. And this certainly would have been the case in Jesus' life with those who were deemed sinners around him. It is the sinners for whom the young son clearly stands in place. Jesus' story here is, of course, occasioned by this grumbling by the Pharisees, by the scribes, that Jesus receives and eats with tax collectors and sinners. He eats and receives those who would have been considered at this time those who have wasted their lives, those whose lives were obscene and offensive in some way. These people, in the eyes of society, were known to be unworthy. This language of unworthiness was, of course, the language the younger son uses to describe himself in verse 19. He comes to himself, it says, and realizes, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. This idea of unworthiness suggests perhaps a a deeper level of waste than just recklessness with material things. It's not simply the loss of property or wealth that is at issue here. There's a relational reality as well. The son has been wasteful of his place in the family, of the relationships he has. He's been reckless with the love and generosity of his father. He has sinned against heaven and before his father. Kenneth Bailey, a remarkable biblical scholar who has applied his knowledge of contemporary Middle Eastern cultures to the text of the Bible, argues that the request the younger son makes in verse 12 for his share of the property, for the share of the property that is coming to him, is deeply dishonoring of the father. Bailey suggests that to make this request would be similar to saying to his father, I wish you were dead. 
as the share coming to him would traditionally be what would have been received upon the father's death. You are worth more to me dead than alive. You are what I can gain from you. There is a recklessness here with the relationship he shares with his father. This sense of waste is deepened in the story as verse 13 continues. Not many days later, it reads, the younger son gathered all he had and took it on a journey into a far country. The quick turnaround, not a few days later, the distance, a far country, communicate that familial relationships here are lightly considered. To receive his share would have been dishonoring of his father. But then to liquidate that capital to remove it from use in the life of the family and to publicly move away is a way to publicly shame and dishonor the father and family. Within the society of ancient Palestine, this action would be considered to have permanently severed the relationships. What a waste. So you see, the son considers himself unworthy to be called a son because he has wasted his place as a son. He has demonstrated to this point that his place in the family means little to nothing to him. The true scandal is the waste of relationship and place with the father. Jesus' story here, his description of the younger son's behavior, suggests something for us about the nature of sin. The impatience and lusts of our lives, the pettiness and greed, the half-truths and deceptions, wasteful and destructive as they are, point to this larger, more significant relational reality. Points to the truth that each of us has in our own way been reckless, treated lightly the relationship we have with the Father. The discreet actions are indicative of this deeper misalignment and indeed rejection. We have all gone astray. We have gone into that far country and severed ourselves. I don't happen to sin in discreet moments. I sin and continue to sin because I am a sinner, wasteful and prodigal, estranged in a profound way. We see this reality perhaps most clearly with the sin of sloth. In popular imagination, sloth is the sin of laziness, a wasting of time and opportunity. But in tradition, sloth has been understood more broadly as a failure of love, a lack of care, an unwillingness to engage in the burdens of relationship, to not do what love requires, but to retreat and flee into distraction, into other kinds of life and action. With this understanding, then, overwork can be an expression of sloth. Those guilty of sloth might not be those who we easily identify as wasteful. But quote-unquote successful people might themselves be sin sinning and demonstrating a certain prodigality. There's a form of reckless living, of living as though limits don't exist, of estrangement from the love of the Father. It's possible to maximize capital. It's possible to get straight A's and still waste your life. In the story that Jesus tells, when it comes to wasting a relationship with the father, the younger son is not alone. 
the older son too is marked in this way. Upon the prodigal's return, the father celebrates this party, is hastily organized, there's music, there is dancing. But the reaction of the older son, the one who has remained, is not to share in this joy. It's instead to grumble, to accuse. The message, a contemporary paraphrase of this story, puts his response as this, look how many years I've stayed here serving you, never giving you a moment of grief, but have you ever thrown a party for me and my friends? Then this son of yours, who has thrown away your money on whores, shows up and you go all out with a feast. Notice the deeply transactional nature of the older son's language. In exchange for not one moment of grief, there's the expectation of return. There's the belief here that this relationship is predicated upon earning and measuring up. The word the older son uses to describe his service to the father can also mean the work of a slave. See how I have slaved for you. This outburst, the anger behind it, revealed this deficient view of relationship the older son has. Rather than a relationship of love, of trusting in the generosity and abundance of the father, this son lives as though the relationship is entirely transactional where slavish obedience is done in exchange for a reward. Just as an aside, I know that some of us have experiences of fathers who have demonstrated that kind of relationship, who have shown us that our relationships with them are based on transaction, on what we can do, and measuring up. Some of us have experiences with fathers of neglect and abuse, in those kind of situations, there's an entirely appropriate reaction of anger often. There's a reaction of making boundaries, of even tragically having to separate ourselves. But the father in Jesus' story, as we will see, shows no evidence of this kind of behavior. He shows no evidence of engaging in this transactional, abusive, negligent way. It's simply that the older son cannot see that he stands already in his father's house, in the context of his father's love and generosity. These realities are lost to him. They're wasted. The joy of this relationship, the delight of his father's generosity, this participation with the father is wasted. He refuses to enter in. He wastes the opportunity, wastes the relationship. The older son, too, has failed to enter into the reality of his father's love. And this estranged reality is made manifest in the response to his brother's return, right? There's this anger. Your son, and the description of his brother's behavior, how does he know this is an accusation that comes from within the older brother? His lack of grace, his lack of compassion demonstrate he does not know his father's love. Our New Testament reading this morning is from 2 Corinthians, and it refers to the followers of Jesus as ministers, as messengers of reconciliation. Those in Christ are participants, co-workers with God in his work of reconciling all things through Christ. My capacity to enter into this work is related to the degree to which I know the Father's love and compassion. My ability 
to be a minister of reconciliation is related to the degree to which I have entered into his love and generosity for myself. Those who most fully participate as ministers of God's reconciliation in Christ are those who have most profoundly and most deeply known his love. Those who have most deeply known themselves as unworthy but beloved. The older brother describes himself in terms of slavery or servitude. The younger brother himself ends up selling himself into slavery. In verse 15, it says, hires himself out. And the word means he attached himself to a master. The great German preacher of the 20th century, Helmut Thielicke, reflecting on this passage, says we all have the choice before us of childhood or slavery. And he says this, attaching himself to a master, this is the end of the younger son's freedom, his autonomy, whatever glittering term one may use. It ends in slavery. It's difficult to know which situation is more tragic, the son who stayed and lived and thought himself a slave, or the son who left and sold himself into slavery. Rather than live freely as beloved children, they stand outside the father's love as slaves. What a waste. But the wastefulness of the sons is exceeded, is exceeded gloriously and graciously by the waste of the father in the story that Jesus tells. The profligacy of the father exceeds that of the sons, exceeds our waste. And that is so very good. The waste of the father is seen in his granting of the young son's request. In response to the dishonor, he generously gives. He divides up his property. The waste of the father, his prodigal nature, continues with his time. That the father runs, which in and of itself would have been a deeply dishonoring act for a man of his stature, suggests that he'd been watching and waiting waiting for his son to return, expending time on behalf of his son. You can imagine the message of those around him. What a waste, what weakness on behalf of that no good son. What indulgence. Within our own culture where men and boys are socialized to never exhibit weakness, to be independent and invulnerable, to cut off relationship, this picture of the father is similarly peculiar. He waits. He expends time. And the father's profligacy continues with his reception of the son. He throws this party. His joy abounds. He expends still more wealth on behalf of this wasteful son. Even in his engagement with the older brother, we see the recklessness of the father. Verse 28 tells us the older son does not come in in his anger. He refused to enter into the presence of his father. This, again, is deeply dishonoring. And you can imagine Jesus' original hearers would have been aghast. Don't waste your affection, your time, on such a rebellious child. Bring them to heal. Make them come to you. Instead, it is the Father who goes out, who extends himself to entreat, to plead, to comfort and encourage, to plead with his son. He wastes more of his breath that his son might enter in. I know that so many of us, for so many different reasons, have this particular view of God, of the Father, as one who is coercive, 
as one who is stringent and miserly. But this is not the nature of the Father that Jesus knows. This is not the nature of the God that Jesus describes in the prodigal son. He's lavish, he's profligate, he's wasteful and reckless in his love toward us. He is scandalously wasteful with his affection, his time, his resources, his attention. The God whom Jesus knows, the Father whom Jesus is, has extended himself. He does entreat us with his time and time again that we who have and are wasting our lives might enter in. He's extended himself in the life of his Son, Jesus Christ, and he does so still now by his Holy Spirit who works to woo and win us to his abundant generosity and deep love watching and waiting. There's this hymn of the 19th century entitled, There's a Wideness in God's Mercy. It reads, there's a wideness in God's mercy like the wideness of the sea. There's a kindness in God's justice which is more than liberty. There's no place where earth's sorrows are more felt than up in heaven. There's no place where earth's failings have such kindly judgment given. For the love of God is broader than the measures of the mind, and the heart of the eternal is most wonderfully kind. There's something about that that is so very difficult to accept, to believe. The calculus of it doesn't add up for us. If you're anything like me, it feels a little uncomfortable to attribute the word wasteful or reckless to God. He's the creator, the father of all. He's wise and all-knowing. I think part of my incredulity, my difficulty in believing is rooted in a failure of imagination. I cannot imagine eternal reserves. I cannot imagine the abundance of God's resources. My own resources, emotional, financial, and otherwise, are so marked by finitude. My perspective is so colored by a, a sense of scarcity. My impatience, my failures of love are rooted in a sense that I don't have enough, so I can't give anymore. I struggle to imagine a scenario where the wise thing is to lavishly love where the prudent thing is to be so abundantly and recklessly generous. But such is the wisdom of God, who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, who is rich in love and is able to do and to give immeasurably more than we might ask or imagine. Such is the love of the Father for you and for I that he gladly suffers the cost. This morning we come as a people, as discrete individuals who have wasted lives, who have wasted ourselves, who have been profligate with relationships, with time, with resources, perhaps not in the obvious ways of that younger son, but in ways no less real, our lives do not add up. They exist as less than the sum of their parts. This is a verdict that has been rendered to us all. All have fallen short and wasted what we have been given. What a waste. 
What unworthiness. But let us now today, in our unworthiness, in our waste, not delay, not waste a moment, but enter in to the embrace of the Father. Let us, like the younger son, come to ourselves, recognize our need and our lack, and knowing what Jesus desires us to know of the Father, let us come with that lack, with that need, and entrust ourselves to the abundance, the generosity of God the Father. Let us not live any longer as slaves, but let us lay hold of the identity Christ has won for us as the very children, beloved daughters and sons of God. The younger son comes as one who is unworthy. He says, I'm no longer worthy to be your son. What he's saying is, I no longer have a claim over you. It's true. And it does not matter. The lavish welcome, the, the loving embrace he receives are dependent not on his own action, but upon the simple miracle of God's love. In a few moments at this table, we will lift our hearts to the Lord. We will lift the deep core places of ourselves. Let us do so knowing that we are unworthy, that we have no claim to make. But let us do so firm in the knowledge of God the Father's extravagant and reckless love for us, that he watches and waits, that he does not hold back. He extends himself toward us in our need, eager that we might enter in, deeper still. This is the fifth Sunday of the month, and as is our custom, before we come to the table, we will also have this time of extended prayer and opportunities to receive prayer. In a few minutes, the worship band will come up and they'll lead us in a few songs and there'll be prayer team members spread throughout the room. This is an opportunity for us to consider who Jesus knows the Father to be as one of great means, as one of abundant and eternal resources to know ourselves as those who have been wasteful, who suffer lack of our own making, and to come and receive out of his generosity, his desire to give, to lavishly give to us all that we would need. So I want to encourage you this morning to consider your own life. Consider the need that you have, whatever arena it is in, and come forward in prayer. Or simply worship where you are and receive by the power of the Holy Spirit from the abundant riches of God for us. Let's pray. Gracious and almighty God, thank you for the picture that Jesus tells us of, the picture of you that he shows us. I ask now that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would remind us of your kindness of your abundance and your generosity. And would you, with gentleness and mercy, speak to us of our need, of the areas where we have lack, lack that only you can meet, lack perhaps of our own making. Would you strengthen us to enter into your presence, to draw near to you,
further up and further in to lay hold of all that you would have for us, all that you have done for us. Pray this in your name. Amen.